We're continuing our series, uh, Dear Church, where we're looking at the uh, first few chapters in Revelation, where, um... Luke, dude, your hair looks awesome, man. Well, good to see you, man. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, uh, the church is in Revelation. Uh, a lot of, every Christian tradition, every, every generation of Christians believes we're going to be the last one. Uh, this happened at the very beginning. Uh, we're, we're reading right now. These churches were real churches that, that uh, John wrote to, and they thought that they were going to be the last, that Jesus was coming back. Every generation has been wrong, but eventually one generation will be right. Now, regardless, the message that's given to the churches that we're going to be encountering today is always, always very relevant. And in times of tumult, in times of change, in times of um, disaster, it becomes even more relevant. And today is a tough one. Today, Jesus is is going to be uh, punching hard a little bit. And I think it's going to be really actually super, super important to where we are and the choices that we have to make uh, day-to-day right now. So let's, uh, let's look at this as the, uh, the, the message to the church in Pergamum. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him, Jesus, who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you're living, where Satan's throne is. Really, uh, probably a better way to do that in English would be where Satan is enthroned, where Satan's ruling. Yet you are holding fast to my name. You didn't deny faith in me, even in the days of, oh oh, Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. Even though you were faithful in the midst of a man being martyred, I still have things against you. You have, you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel so that they would eat food sacrificed to idols and practice fornication, have sex, bad sex. So you also have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I know this is all obscure. I promise you we're going we're gonna to make it all, uh, we're going we're gonna to reveal it all. Repent then. If not, I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone, and on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now I know there's a lot going on in this text, it's a little little weird, Um, but let's go through it, and I think you're going to see that as weird as it sounds, it is more prevalent today uh, than maybe at any time in my lifetime. And I'm really old, I'm 40. So, all right, and what, what's that? Oh, are you? No, you're 25. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, right? Uh, the, the one with a sharp two-edged sword. Uh, this is going to be important in just a second, but know that Jesus is the one who has the ultimate power to execute, okay? Uh, and this bit about where Satan's throne is. Uh, you may not know this, but Pergamum uh, was the jewel of the Roman Empire in Asia Minor, in Turkey. Uh, it was the favored, it was the favorite city of the Roman uh, rulers. Uh, so favored, in fact, that, that uh, it was the first place in Turkey where, um, in, in Asia Minor, where uh, a city was given a temple so that they could worship Caesar, the emperor. Um, Caesar was uh, obviously the emperor of Rome, and this was the first place in Asia where regular daily worship Began, and I think that's what uh, John or Jesus means by Satan's throne, right? Uh, Caesar was a bad guy, especially at the time of the writing of this text. 
Caesar was on the side of, of the enemy. He was on the side of Satan. And this was a place where Caesar's power was totally entrenched. And in the midst of this, the people at Pergamite, the Pergamite Christians, they held fast to Jesus' name. They did not deny uh, faith in him, even at the expense of a martyr. What's actually probably going on is uh, one of the things that they did, was there was a daily ritual in the city of Pergamum where everyone who uh, could had a burned incense. And while they were burning incense, they would worship Caesar. They would say, Caesar is Lord. Uh, you could do this in your home. Uh, as a family, together, you would, you would praise and say, Caesar is the king. Caesar is the Lord. Caesar is ruler. You could also go to the temple of Caesar. You could do that in corporate worship. Caesar is Lord. And they would chant this as they, as they burned the incense. When Jesus says, you held fast to my name, what he's indicating is that the Christians at the church of Pergamum refused to do this. They refused to, to say, Caesar is Lord. They refused to burn the incense. And instead, they said what Christians said uh, at the time, which is, Jesus is Lord. And you can see that all throughout the New Testament. There's one God, Yahweh, and one Lord, Jesus, the Messiah. That's uh, it's in Paul in Corinthians. So why? <laughs> it's a sentence. It's incense. I mean, really? Who cares? I'll tell you who cares. Everybody cares. Uh, Doug almost didn't make it to, to church today um, because Duke lost in the final four last night. <sighs> really rough for Doug. I mean, Doug, join, the, join the, the party, man. Like everyone else here's team lost. No one here is rooting for Kansas. No one, no one cares about Kansas. Uh, so, yeah, I know the, it was Coach, uh, Coach Kachevsky or whatever his name is, his uh, last game. So I know that that hurt a lot. Uh, if you watched, and I did, at uh, the very beginning, there was, it, was, it was cool. They had um, a quartet of student athletes uh, from the teams that were participating sing the national anthem. It actually went viral because they did such a great job. Um, I think it's uh, UNC's kicker on their football team did, like, the bass part. It was really, really cool. You should check it out. And I noticed, I noticed that, uh, that everyone was standing for the national anthem. Do you notice this? Uh, you may have, you may remember that in the last few years, it's been pretty controversial, uh, controversial about whether, how we should respond when the national anthem is being played at sporting events. Why? Well, the national anthem, you know, what, you know what you used to do or what we still do. Or you, you, you go to the Angels game and they start, you stand up and, and uh, the veterans will often take off their hats and put their, their hats over their hearts. My dad told, taught me to do that when I was a kid uh, to, out of respect, right? Respect for America. Whatever we want to say, whatever we want to say, we all agree that America is awesome and we are glad to be Americans. It's great to be an American. And we also love baseball, football, basketball, whatever sport we're watching, NASCAR, Right? And so what we do is this is our, this is the communal thing that we always do. It's our ritual that shows that everybody is in agreement. We have lots of disagreements. Lots. But one thing we agree on is America's awesome, and so is this sport that we're about to watch. And so, when Colin Kaepernick started the kneeling thing, a lot of people were deeply, deeply upset. Um, he, for, a lot, for, for, for Kaepernick, I think what he was trying to communicate was that the, the promise of America hasn't been realized for everyone yet. I think that's the best, you know, the, the most 
kind interpretation of what he was trying to accomplish by kneeling before football games. But it, it took off in a very, a lot of people, maybe some of you, were deeply offended when he did this. Because what you saw, if you disagreed with him, what you saw is you saw someone saying, no, I, you know what, we don't agree, America sucks. And you thought, come on. I agree. America's got mistakes. There's flaws. But, but you, you disrespect this place? And I remember at the time, people emailed me, texted me, like, I can't believe this multimillionaire, you know, he's, a, he's spoiled. And, and he, can't, he can't even, things are that really that bad that he has to say America's no good. I don't know if Colin Kaepernick was trying to communicate that, but, but if he was, a lot of you were really mad. A lot of us were really upset. Because come on, can't we all just agree? I know we're all super different, but can't we all just agree that in the end, Caesar's Lord, right? Caesar's Lord. He's in charge. He's the boss. He's the king. Look, I know, I know it can get confusing and you worship Demeter and she's doing what she's doing and you worship, you know, Dionysus and he's doing... But at the end of the day, we all know that Caesar is Lord. And that's what keeps us together. That's what makes us a city. That's what makes us a country. And if you deny that, you're a traitor. This is a uh, painting of uh, Christians being tortured to death. We know that not only was Antipas uh, martyred, but after his martyrdom, we know from some of the church fathers that at least four other Christians were, um, were, were butchered in, in Pergamum uh, during this time because they refused to say Caesar is Lord. Uh, the tradition is, um, and we don't know this is true, our, our, our best and earliest resource uh, indicating it's true from the third century, but the, the tradition is, is that Antipas was actually put in a big bronze bowl and they lit a fire in him and cooked him alive. Others, as you can see on the right side of the screen there, uh, were you know, hung up on poles in something like a crucifixion. And, uh, and the reason is because from the perspective of the people of Pergamum, these people chose the cross over the king. Some of you, um, I've seen you wear these shirts. It's got the uh, cross and the flag. And it's, I, I think the reason that we, we wear them is um, because we want to believe in our heart that, um, that the United States of America, uh, our country that we love, um, is a Christian country. We want to believe that the interests of Jesus and the interests of America are one and the same. Sometimes they are. See, the church in, the, in Pergamum was given a choice. You can't have both. You have to choose either the cross or the flag. They had to make that decision. Most of them, um, 
as we see, Jesus commends them for choosing the cross, but they did it in a very quiet, private way. They just, in their own homes, did not worship Caesar, but they weren't, weren't public about it. Antipas was, and four others who followed him were as well. They went out there, and they proclaimed, they probably went to maybe even the, the temple to Caesar, and when everyone was like, Caesar was Lord, they're like, nope, Jesus is Lord. That's a good way to get yourself killed in the ancient world. And I, man, America, love this place. Love liberty, love freedom. My father fought in Vietnam. My grandfather, World War II. But I worry. I worry we may be coming to a time where, where we too are going to be given this choice. The cross or the flag. And we're going to do everything we can to prevent that. We're going to, we're going to do everything we can to save uh, our culture and to keep, uh, I mean, statistically speaking, America is a Christian country. It's like something like 65% of Americans identify as Christians. So, I mean, it, we're not there yet. Uh, but sometimes, and this is the first thing you note, Jesus, sometimes God asks Christians to choose between the cross and the flag. Be ready. So then Jesus says, you were faithful even to martyrdom, but I still have this against you. The teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak uh, to put a stumbling block. Uh, what is going on here? I'm just going to show you. This is a reference from the book of Numbers. I want, to, I want you to see what's happened. The people of Israel, are, um, they're, they're trying to come into the, the promised land. And uh, they're staying at this place, uh, Shatim. And the people began to have sex with the, the Moabite women, the pagan women um, in, the, in the area where they're living. Women who worship Baal. Okay, but Baal, right? So they start having sex with these women, and then the women invite the people to sacrifice to their gods. Specifically, they ate down and, and, and bowed to who? Uh, they yoked themselves Baal, Baal of Peor. So the Israelites, who are supposed to be worshiping God, uh, they have sex with these girls, and the girls are like, man, this was great. And they're like, yes, yes, this was. And they were like, you should also worship our gods. And they're like, oh, okay, because men often do not think with their brains, and so they did something very bad. Not only is this super bad because uh, they betrayed, you know, their their wives and whatnot, but it's also bad because Baal of Peor was a god that um, approved of things like weird uh, sexual practices and, and uh, with children and, and ch- child sacrifice. How did this happen? Well, it turns out in uh, Numbers 31, Moses tells us, he says uh, they've captured some of these Moabite women, and Moses says, these women here on who? On Balaam's advice. Balaam was a prophet uh, who was a true prophet. He heard the word of God, but he didn't like the word of God. He liked uh, Baal. He liked other gods. And so he wanted to hamstring God's plans. And so he whispers into the ears of the Moabite women. He's saying, hey, why don't you kind of put yourselves out there? Say, hey, boys. And men being men, once they've, you know, been with you, they're going to be attached to you in a very powerful way. And you can use this to get them to go way off the track. The Nicolaitans in our text uh, did the same thing. Not as intense. I don't think that uh, the, the Pergamite Christians were involved in, in weird sexual acts, and I don't think that they were um, worshiping Baal. But, but, 
But we do know that they were buying uh, meat sacrificed to idols. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. What it really comes down to is um, the, the, the temple to Caesar, right? The temple to Caesar, they would have these barbecues, these feasts, where they'd slaughter an, an animal and everyone would eat. And then after they were done eating, they would take the leftover meat, they would sell it on the marketplace, and so what the Christians in Pergamum who followed uh, the, this type of thinking did, they would go and they would buy this meat. It was cheap. And when they did it, they were buying it, and, and the people selling it would be like, oh, oh, you're not weird. You approve of what we're doing here, worshiping Caesar. That's why you're giving us your money. You think that, that you know, you have your gods, that's adorable. But you love and appreciate the fact that we're worshiping Caesar, and that's why you're willing to buy from us. That's why you're willing to engage in commerce with us. Like I said, most of the uh, Pergamite Christians were probably very on the down low with the whole not worshiping Caesar thing. And, and so they were trying to find ways to fit in. My daughter's soccer team is kind of garbage. Uh, actually, both of their teams are terrible. Olivia's team is just they don't have talent. Um, but Alice's team, they actually do. They're pretty good. They could be good. Um, but they lose. And the reason they lose, I told her this yesterday. I was like, they tied yesterday. But they should have won. And I was like, the problem is that when you guys are going around playing soccer, you're miserable. Like, soccer is supposed to be fun, I think. It looks miserable to me, but for those of you who do things like soccer, it seems like you're supposed to have fun while you're doing it, right? You're supposed to like, wow, this is, this is awesome that we're kicking this ball. And like passing and stuff. Um, but her team's not like that. Her team, everyone's scared the whole time. Because if anyone makes a mistake, someone else on the team is like, why'd you do that? You're ruining it for us. They're 10. <laughs> so on the sideline, I'm like, jeez, like, whoa. And it was especially pronounced because yesterday they, they, they played a team where everyone loved each other. They're like, good job, Lauren. <laughs> and, the, and Alice's team was like, all she did was kick. Like, come on, anyone can do that. And so it's, 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 like, it's uncomfortable to watch for me because, like, everyone's sitting, and you can tell they're like, oh, I hope I don't make a mistake. I told Alice, I was like, your team would dominate if, like, you all loved each other and were for each other. If you were willing to be creative and make mistakes and, and try and applaud each other for the good thing. If, if you had a completely different team culture, you would rock. You experience this at work. I know some of you have told me about this, where some of your favorite times uh, in work is when you've developed teams or put together uh, crews of people, and you found a way. That, and these are different people, people from all different types of walks of life, and you come together, and you find a way to, like, to just create that synergy where everyone's excited about the goal, and we're all working towards it. And there's this feeling of, like, of just energy that, that comes from that. It's one of the most joyful things you can do in work, to come to a workplace and be like, man, I love these people. This is awesome. And conversely, some of you have told me <laughs> you've been in, in situations in work where, ugh, in some cases, I know a few of you have been like, look, I, I was, you know, attached at the hip to somebody who was honestly evil. And man, that's, that's hard. What the Christians in Pergamum wanted and if we're honest, what we want is we want to be able to go out of this place and we want to be able to get along with people. Yeah, we have some differences in, in belief and ideas. We do. 
But we, we, we want to be able to go out and, and, and we don't want them to look at us and be like, oh, you're one of those weird freaks. We want to be able to go out and be like, hey, man, I'm cool too. Like, I, I'm not that weird. I'm not that different. We can, we can get along. We can do well together. We can be on the same team. But every once in a while, and most of the time that's fine. Most of the time that's great. But every once in a while, every once in a while, it, it, the culture it becomes so divorced, becomes so entrenched in, in, in what, what the enemy is after, that it, in order to do that, we have to cross a line. We have to compromise. I mean, your mileage may vary, but uh, this week I got a bunch of uh, texts and calls and conversations about the uh, latest kerfuffle at Disney. Apparently there's this uh, law in Florida about uh, not teaching kids K through third grade about, like, sex and gender and stuff like that. And the LGBTQIA plus community got very angry and uh, kind of pressured Disney to be, like, to, like, con- condemn the law. So for the first time, as far as I know, Disney as a corporation made a, an explicit political stance. Like, no! Like, this is how things ought to be. And the, 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 the texts and the, the conversations were uh, just a slew of people being like, well, that's it. I'm canceling Disney+. Plus. We're not going to go to Disneyland anymore. We're cutting them off. Because we don't want to be complicit anymore with this. We don't, if this, is, if this is who Disney is and they don't share the same values that we do. And it's not, like, it's not like I have any hate or anything. I'm super compassionate for people in the LGBTQIA plus community. I mean, and personally, I feel the same way. I, gosh, I have so many friends, um, especially Christians, who really battle with how they are going to live out their Christian life um, at the same time uh, expressing, you know, gay, lesbian uh, tendencies, same-sex attraction, or um, feeling a gender dysphoria. I got lots of friends who, who, who deal with that. And man, I, I got nothing, seriously, nothing but compassion, and I love working with and talking through and, and being with um, people who are, who are battling and struggling. But what I don't want to be told to do is to, is to celebrate something that I think is terribly broken. I want to be able to say, I love you, but I really believe that God had a different vision for how the universe is supposed to be. And I'm always going to be for you, and I'm always going to be with you, and I'm always going to be there for you. But I, 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 and, and I'm going to walk with you as, you as you have your journey about how this is going to play out in your life. And I will never be the one to condemn you, but I'm just asking you. I'm just asking you to respect that I really, really believe that, that this is something that needs to be redeemed someday. So some people are saying to me now, uh, in order to live that out, in order to be, in order for that to be real to me, I'm, I'm I, I got to part ways with Disney. Again, your mileage may vary. I don't, I don't know the right answer with any of these things. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just as brokenhearted, I think, as everybody to see uh, the culture come to this place of just, of just so, so much hatred. And so much viciousness. Um, um, but I can tell you that sometimes 
the world is going to come up to Christians and demand that you compromise. Demand it. If you want to get along, you're going to have to participate in this. And notice what happened, right? The Christians in Pergamum, they were okay with that. Okay, they, 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 a lot of them went along with it. A lot, of the, a lot of them said, you know what? It's more important to get along than it is to hold fast on this issue. And Jesus had some harsh words for them. He says, those of you who are doing that, if you don't stop, I'm coming after you. Next thing you know, Jesus. Sometimes the world demands Christians compromise their faith in order to get along. Now, this is a really tough situation because the Christians in Pergamum know that like Antipas, if, they're, if they stick their necks out too far, they're going to get their heads cut off. And so there, the, a lot of them are hearing the, these words from Jesus and being like, Jesus, do you really understand what it's like? And Jesus is like, you bet I understand what it's like. They tortured me to death for it. But listen, there's good news for you. There's good news. The, the, it doesn't stop with this, with this that it, everything's bad. Listen to me to what I'm saying. If you overcome, if you stay the course, if you hold fast, something is coming your way. Let anyone who has an ear to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches, if you overcome, if you conquer, I'm going to give you the hidden manna, a white stone with a new name. That seems a little weird to us, and, and to be fair, uh, I'm going to be honest with you, scholars... Uh, Scholars maintain. Scholars are they fight each other about this. This is a this is a very it's a very odd um, bit of text. Every scholar will agree that, that what what uh, Jesus is promising is honor. But I think I think given the nature of revelation and, and the nature of the text, I think we can and the nature of history, I think we can uh, make a, a, a suggestion about what Jesus is actually talking about here. Um, and to do that, I want you to look at Revelation 19 for a second. This is the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. Then I heard what seemed a, a voice of great multitude. Uh, oh, by the way, this um, Bridget, that was beautiful when you were singing the Lord God Almighty reigns. It comes from this text. Um, so there's, uh, there's, there's all these people crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejo- rejoice, exult, give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. What John is saying is that after Jesus wins, all the Christians are going to get gathered together and we're going to be like a bride having a wedding party with her husband. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. This might be a little bit metaphorical because it's hard to know how you could make clothes out of the righteous deeds of saints, um, but it might not. I mean, maybe, maybe there's a way that God can do that. I, I don't know. But the point is this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the words of God. Well, what do you do at a marriage supper? Celebrate. You celebrate, you eat. You got to eat something, right? You got to eat. Everyone, this is, this is uh, the, an artist's rendering of the marriage supper of the Lamb because there's going to be millions, possibly billions of Christians attending this thing, yes? So that's going to be a really long table. And the question is, what are we going to eat? Well, it might be. I mean, God provided the Israelites manna in the desert. Maybe the hidden manna is the, the, the food, you know, the food that's, that's going to be on the, the table. Question, though. So millions and billions of places to sit. Where are you? Because, you know, you've been to a wedding reception. You, what do you do? You go there and you look for your name card. Yes? 
so you know uh, where you sit in, in the wedding reception. And you also know that the clo- if you get one of the nice tables close to the, uh, the, the bride and the groom, that's like them saying, we really love you. You're awesome. And if you're far- the farther you are away from the bride and groom, the less cool you are, the less that they care that you're there. In, uh, in the ancient world, um, when people held feasts, uh, they had the, the problem that we have of wedding crashers. Yes, people who uh, wanted to come in and eat and party for free. And so in the ancient world, in order to do that, they came up with a ticket system. And the tickets that they used were, were small uh, tokens, small stones, uh, small colored stones uh, that you would have, and, and it would be your proof of entrance. And often on these colored stones, uh, you would have um, some, some way to tell where you were supposed to sit. It was like a, you matched up oftentimes like a symbol with uh, where you're... So it was not only your ticket, it was also your, 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 your place of seating. And I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying, Hey, if you go through this... There's going to come a day when, when millions, billions of us are all together. We're all united as one. We're all joined together as we've been destined to be since the beginning of, of, of the age. It's all going to happen. It's all going to come together. When you, you're going to be given, if you overcome, you're going to be given a special token. They're called Tessa. A special token. And on it is going to be a special name that nobody knows. And you're going to have that name. You're going to, match, you're going to be walking along the table. You're going to have a really long walk. You're going to be walking for miles and miles, hundreds and thousands of miles. Because you're going to be right next to the head of the table. Right where Jesus is. And that's going to be your place card. That's going to be your spot to sit. And everyone, all Christians through all the ages are going to watch you as you walk by them. Walk up to where the king himself is. And you are going to be the one who every eye is on. And forever, for all of eternity, no one will ever forget that you were the one that Jesus sat next, right, right next to himself. And if, if that happens, when that happens, you will know a joy that you can't possibly imagine. Last thing in your notes, uh, Christians who overcome are promised the best seats at the table. The question, of course, is what are you living for? I mean, if we're honest, we're in South Orange County. It's the next toy, the next drink, the next steak, for me, the next TV. It's the next thing. It's the next thing in life, the next house, the next comfort, the next vacation, the next this, the next that. We have everything in the world on display for us, right? And it's like, hey, come, enjoy. There's not, I'm, not, I'm not knocking that, but we're super blessed. Like, don't feel guilty about the fact that you live where you live. It's, it's amazing. But what happens, though, When you're really forced to decide, the cross or Orange County? The cross or the flag? The cross or my awesome middle to upper middle class life? What happens when they say, hey, 
look, I, I get it, you're a Christian, but let's, just, let's not be, make too big a deal about it. Could we not? Could we not? Instead, let's just, let's all do Caesar's Lord, remember? <laughs> Come on, it's simple. Just eat, eat this meat. Take this, say this, approve of that. Just, just a little bit, just to show that we're all together. It's going to be really hard. And the only way to be ready for that, the only way to be prepared for that, is to have in our minds set, our minds set on that seat at the table, that eternity of being honored. Because, man, if you're up there, if you're sitting at the seat of the table and there's the Lord Jesus and you are united to him for all time and every eye is on you, I'm going to tell you, you are not going to look back and be like, man, I really wanted that boat. Man, it was so important that these people thought well of me. Man, it was so important that I didn't get embarrassed. And if we every day wake up and remember what it's really about, what we're really living for is the kingdom of God, for his glory, for his truth. If that's what we're living for, if that's what we're headed at, and we over and over, we pray, we think, we remember, say, that's what it's about. It's not about all this other stuff. If we make that our mindset, then when they ask you cross of the flag, you will say cross. And you will have the best seat at the table. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, We thank you for the witness of Antipas, the faithful martyr, the one who said, no, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. We thank you for the faithful Pergamite Christians who said, no, we're not going to authorize and we're not going to celebrate these other gods, these other ways even if it costs us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example of faithfulness to death, of allegiance to God and God alone. And God, we pray for courage as Christians to rightly perceive whether or not we are living in a world where Satan's enthroned, to rightly perceive, to rightly divide the truth and lies so that we can stay faithful. That we can set our eyes on having the best seats at the table. That we can set our eyes on glory. That we can follow you, Jesus, and never, ever, 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 ever look back. In your name we pray.